This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com This week's Pasha is Pasha's Tazria. When a woman becomes pregnant and she gives birth to a boy, she's tummy for seven days, and then 33 days, 30, seven days and then 33 days. And if she gives birth to a girl, she's tummy for two weeks, not one, and 66 days. So I remember teaching this a few years ago. In seminary, and of course, for some reason, girls think, women think, girls think, that the Torah was given, is like a man thing. It's like, uh, cause you guys don't get to put on tefillin, and you don't learn Gemara, and that it's a very male-oriented religion. But I, I've spoken about this before, it's really just the opposite. It's really just the opposite. Really, it's a very female-oriented religion. How do you know that? Very simple. The Judaism, the whole religion goes by the mother. So if the father's a Jew and the mother's not a Jew, the child's not a Jew. The father's are not, not a Jew, but the mother is a Jew, the child is a Jew. So who gets more importance in the religion, the man or the woman? The woman. So I'm not giving you a share on this tonight, but the whole Shosani Kirtsono, the whole bracha, which um, I remember that I, I went to speak in a out-of-town place, and they were very much, um, they were very liber- women-libbed, and um, I was warned that be careful how you speak, because um, if you speak, you know, you, you, you don't give equality to the women, you're going to be in big trouble. And they actually had a minion, right, it's an orthodox place, but they had a, a minion once a month for women, where the women daven on their own, and they had a minion. I don't know what that means exactly, a minion, but they had a minion with a chazan, chazanit, and the whole business. So, um... I got up and spoke, and when I got finished that Shabbos, Baruch Hashem, that minion doesn't exist anymore. Because what, what, I, what I told them was, which I don't think women understand, that it's brought down in Sephardim. Women, women, when they daven, they, they cry. There are tears. Men, we don't, we don't cry. It's very hard for a man to cry. You have to think of a thing that's going to be very sad, and then you're, you're worried that I didn't cry, it wasn't sad enough, and you can make yourself crazy on your kipper. I make myself always crazy, because it says, if you don't cry on your kipper, then you t- that means your tools and Shemayim weren't accepted. So I'm always trying to figure out when I'm going to cry. And, and you know, the Sarai Ruge Machas, when they killed the ten Sadiqim, that's a good place to cry, right? But sometimes it just doesn't happen. So I'm nervous, Holy Yom Kippur, why didn't I cry? But usually by Ne'ila, Ne'ila at the end, by, uh, by what's it called, by, um, the, by the Kaisal in Eretz Yisrael, Usually, you know, but women don't have that problem. They, they, you know, they they can start crying like in two minutes. So, it, it's brought down that that the tears that, that tefillah today there's a there's a, a wall a koisel a barzel a wall of metal so to say in Shemayim that holds back kor habazel that holds back the tefillah of men of everybody. But the 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 shari demois the the gates of tears right they're always open. So it's brought down in Tzvarim that that. Women come to shul for the men daven, so they all daven, let's say shachlis and musaf and leining, and all the tools are stuck. But there's some lady in the Ezra's Nashim behind the mechitza who's crying for a child or someone else is sick or whatever it is. Her tears open up the gates and all the tools of the men go, go through. So if there's no women in shul, right, then all the tools are stuck. So I said to these women, you're, you're, you're hurting every, you're, by having your own minion, the guys are all davening, it's not going anywhere. So I sort of empower them. 
And what I was told after that is that they don't, they don't have that minion anymore. So here is one of the classic, um, it looks like classic anti-woman. If you have a baby boy, your tummy 33 days and 7 days. If you have a baby girl, your tummy 66 days, double, and 14 days. Ah, you see? A guy, you're not as tummy as when you have a girl. Because a guy's greater than a girl. So if you have a girl, your tummy much longer. That's what it looks like. But it's very wrong. And the terrace is very, very beautiful. So why does the Torah tell us that if you have a baby girl, your tummy double, your impure double, than having a baby boy? And the answer is as follows. The, the way Kedusha and Tuma works is the more Kedusha, right? The more the Kedusha, when you remove it, the void is bigger. And therefore, the void is bigger. What fills in that void? The impure. So a, so a, a person who dies is a much greater tumor than an animal that dies. Why? Because the person, once he dies, the neshama, which is so holy, leaves. What replaces that neshama? Tumor, impurity. So by an animal, it's not such a big void because he doesn't have a neshama. He has a nefesh, but he doesn't have a neshama. So a person, we're much more, when a person dies, you can be metame in the, the room, the person, the, the man's in the room, so he can't go into the room. But not by an animal. By an animal, it's to touch. Touching the tummy animal, the dead animal. So, so Chazal says something very beautiful. They say that it's just the opposite. It's a compliment to the woman. If your tummy double, 66 instead of 33, must mean that the, that the, the Kedusha that was there was double as big by a girl than it was by a boy. Because if the, if the tummy is double as big, then the, the, the Kedusha that it replaced is double as big. Why is a Nekeva, a female baby, double the Kedusha as a male baby? And the answer is because the potential of the female baby is to have another child. So the potential of the baby that was now, that now left the womb is the, is the potential of a being, a woman, who can give birth to another child. The man, his potential is only 33 days because he can't give birth to another child. So she, the, the, the girl that's missing now because in the womb is this huge Kedusha, right? But it's double what a man is because the woman, the girl that's in the womb is going to be a mother, is going to be Shosani Kutsono, is godly, is a nurturer, is a creator because she's going to be able to carry a child. So the reason she's tame for 66 days is not 33 days is not because she's less, but just the opposite because she's more. And if you look at the Yiddishkeit altogether, the reason you don't learn Gemara is because you don't need to learn Gemara. The reason that you have to have Tzniyas much more than a man is because the, the greater the Kedusha, the greater the diamond, the deeper you have to hide it in a, in a, you know, if it's a fake diamond and fake pearls, you can leave it on your dresser at night when you go to sleep. You can leave it at home when the maid is cleaning. But you're not leaving your diamond and your pearls out there when your maid's cleaning. You're putting it in a safe. But you don't, if it's a really expensive diamond, you don't even want it to know where the safe is. So it's a hidden safe. And in the safe it's hidden. So, so it's just the opposite. Oh, men can walk around, but women can't. Yeah. Because you're on a higher level. Now, you may not want to be on a higher level. That's too bad. If you're born a princess to a king, she can't say, I want to be the same as the peasant in the farm. She's born 
differently. So, so sneers by a woman, and that you that you that you're only mitzvah in mitzvah is my grandma. Only only in mitzvahs in mitzvahs that have a set time, you're not mitzvah. And why doesn't a woman have to uh, is not mechayev in all the mitzvahs is my grandma? Because Hashem understands that she's taking care of her family, and she's taking care of her children, and she's taking care of her husband, and she's taking care of the house, and she's taking care of sabayis. So if she's busy with that, we can't make her do things that have a set time because she won't be able to do it. So we don't want to put her in a situation. So this whole complaint that that women are second fiddle is totally, totally wrong. And and this, this week's parsha, people, are, oh, why are you talking? Oh, because we're worse. No, you're more tummy for sixty six days because you're better. Because the, the person that's missing, the the baby that's missing now from that womb is the baby that's a creator, and that's that's double than you know than the man. Okay, so that's the beginning. That's the beginning of parsha, uh, of, of Sazria. and then it starts to talk about. All the Negam, this week's Pasha Tazriya and Mitzorah, it talks about all the Negayim, all the different, um, leprosies. You can just make a seat for, for Ruth over here. Thank you. So, let's talk about Negatiras. So Negatiras, we know, comes from, what, why does a person get Saras? A person gets Saras because they speak Lush and Hara. They speak behind people's backs. So what's the Mida Kenegamida? You spoke about, behind somebody's back. Now you're going to get a plague that everyone's going to see. You did it secretly behind everyone's back. Now Hashem's going to show it publicly. So it talks about Saras. So the last two weeks, I don't know what's going on out there, but the last two weeks, I've been meeting a lot of people that that are that are since since Pesach, and there there are so many kids, and not only kids, adults that have this terrible picture of Yiddishkeit. It's a cult. It's um, it's it, it chokes you. It tells you what to do, and if you don't do it, you're gonna you're gonna get uh, skila. They're gonna stone you, hang you, cut off your head, and then finally, when you get to the next world, God's gonna put you in a barbecue, and He's gonna 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 barbecue till you're ready, till you're done. And then there's Gehenna of fire, and then they finish with that. They put you in Gehenna of shelleg. Who wants to be part of that religion? <laughs> I don't want to be part of religion. That's what. And, and everything gets checked a hundred times over, and that is not what Yiddishkeit is all about. I would like to tell you what Yiddishkeit is all about through a pasuk in this week's parsha. And the pasuk says the following: the Kohen, the Kohen, um, is the one, is the doctor, is the one because Taras is not a physical malady. It's not a physical malady. It comes from a spiritual. It's physical. It looks white and scaly. But it comes from a spiritual place. So it says the following. In Pasuk Gimel, Perak Gimel, it says the following. And the Kayin will see the plague. In the, he'll see it in the skin and the meat of the person. And the hair, the hair that's growing in that place will turn white. And the the actual nega will will look three dimensional. It'll look deeper than the than the skin itself. Nega terasu, it's called it's saras. and the koyin will see it. and he will make that person tame. So the question that that is asked is that the pasuk begins and the koyin sees the leprosy, right? The nega. But the end of the Pasuk says, and the Koyin sees it, the Timayosha, he makes a Tameh. You already said that the Koyin sees the Nega. Why are you saying that he sees it again? 
Right? It already starts the Pasuk that way. And the Teretz is a very beautiful Teretz. That before you make a Jew Tameh, you have to look twice. You can't make a Jew not... You can't say this Jew is no good on your first look. So even though the Kohen took a look already at it, and he sees it, Pasuk says, Varai Kohen, the Kohen has to look at it again. You're not... You can't just... What, what, what it's saying is you can't just look at the chitzayniyas of a person. You can't just judge a person by she's not sneeish, her hair is like this, she goes to this school, he wears a kippah shugah, he has long hair, he doesn't wear a kippah. A kayen who represents oyev shalom or oyev shalom, a person who runs to make peace, he has to know that a person has to look twice. And it's a very, very important lesson and there's, there's even a deeper lesson. That halacha is, and this goes back to, we spoke about yesterday, last week about MS and lying, if you're lying for Shalom Bayes, are you allowed to lie for Shalom Bayes and what that means? The halacha is like this. A guy gets married. The second day of a Shabbat Brachas, he looks at his hand, and there's something going on, and he thinks it's Saras. So he goes to the Kayan, and he shows it to the Kayan. And there's no question that it's Saras. The Kayan looks at the Saras and says, Tahar. That's Talacha. What do you mean, Tahar? You see it's Saras. How can you say Tahar? And the Tarot says, but since he's a Chassan, we don't want to separate him from his wife during the seven days, during the Shabbat Brachas. So even though the Kayan sees the Nega and it's Tameh, he has to say it's Tahar. Why? For Shalom Bayes. For some reason, this is not the Torah that people come to talk to me about. They don't t- come to talk to me to, about a Torah who, against, it's Saras. It is Saras, but you can't say that. You have to say it's Torah. You have to look twice. You have to say it's Torah. That is what our Torah represents. There's a very interesting halacha, which I remember. Amen. Amen. Which, which, um, I remember when we learned it in yeshiva, it, it was a game changer for me. Now, look is as follows. The big Sanhedrin, the big, the biggest Sanhedrin court that we had, had 71 judges. 71 judges. So they have this case where they're accusing a guy of murder. And they have witnesses. And the court listens to everything. And all 71 judges say, He's chayev. It's like a, like a, like a jury, right? They ask each judge, giving your paper, chayev or pater. Is he, is he guilty or not guilty? All 71 say guilty. Now, Allah is, he goes free. All 71 say guilty, pater. He walks out, innocent. Now, same 71 judges. 70 say guilty. One says innocent. He's chayev misa. We kill him. So they asked the question, it's called a Kalvachomer. What's the Kalvachomer? Kalvachomer is like this. Surely, surely, right, if out of the 71, 70 say guilty, and one says not guilty, he's guilty, surely if all 71 say guilty, he's guilty. It's a Kalvachomer. If 70 say guilty, he's guilty, so if 71 say guilty, he's surely guilty. Why does he walk free? Everyone following me here? 
You got what I'm saying? If 70 say guilty and you're guilty, surely 71 or any, anything more than 70 you're guilty. But he's not. 71 say guilty, he walks out. Have a good day, everybody. So the question is why? And the answer is that if 71 judges look at a case and not one of them can find a schus, not one of them can say, I'm not sure about the witnesses or whatever it is, that if they're so sure, they're missing something. That's the halacha. You're so sure about something? Is that even a little bit of a suffix? Then there's something wrong. So we, in my school that I used to teach in, we had a rule that before you throw a student out of school, we had this rule, not when I first started teaching, but we, we started this rule, that before you throw a child out of school, the, the Hebrew principal, English principal, every English teacher and every Hebrew teacher, and I know there are other schools that have this, would sit in a meeting and everybody would say if they think they should throw the kid out. Right? So maybe there'll be a math teacher that'll say, I don't know what he's doing in all of your classes, but in my class, he's doing well. And then we can ask the math teacher, well, what do you do different than all of us? And we can save the kid. Right? So everybody has to sign off on the kid before you throw him out. But if every teacher says, no good, principal say no good, he's out. So we had this meeting about this boy, and he was really a troublemaker. And every single class that he was in, he disturbed Now it came to my vote. I was the last vote. I was assistant principal. Both principals said out. English teacher said out. Hebrew teacher said out. Everybody said out. Right? So I knew that if I say, if I say not out, and I really didn't want him to be thrown out, if I say not out, it was 10 against 1. I'm going to lose. So I voted also out as part of them. And after I voted out, the principal said, okay, Everybody wants him out. We're going to throw him out. I said, no. Nope. If all the judges, not one, can find a reason to keep him, then we're missing something. So I knew if I would have said, if I would have said innocent, he would have been guilty. But because I said not innocent, they're like, so every single one, there's not one teacher here that can say he's cute. Uh, he makes good jokes. He has good snack. I don't know. After school, he came over to my house and shoveled my drive. If Not one teacher can find one thing good about him, then we're missing something. Then we're wrong. And Baruch Hashem, we kept him. And he was a troublemaker for a few more years, but, but we kept him. But the bottom line is, so, so that's, and I explained it to someone in my office today, that's our Torah. That's our Torah. Our Torah is not, not that, if, that if everyone looks at somebody and says, you're chayev, you're, you're guilty, the Torah says, look again, you're wrong. Someone's missing something. If a client sees something that's wrong, but because of shalom bias, we, we turn that wrong into right. We say that the negative, the tzaraz, is not, is not, is not puzzle. It's not tamay, but it's, but it's kosher. And, and I think that very much, you know, lately, they're, they're, I'm not saying that every, every Jew does the right thing and, and not every rabbi does the right thing. We hope that most rabbis do the right thing. But, you know, there's a saying, don't, don't judge Jew, Judaism by Jews. I don't like that saying. But, I'll, I'll give you, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a story that happened. I just have to, be, have to be careful how I say it because I don't want to, whatever. Okay, so this, I'll tell you a story that happened. So I'm not a psychiatrist, and I'm not a psychologist. Um, but I've been a Rebbe for 37 years, and 30 years in one class, not the same kids, 30 years, but, but, eighth, but eighth grade. 
And um, you do 30 years times 30 kids. It's uh, 900 kids. When you teach 900 kids and you're in a classroom with them day to day, you didn't, maybe you didn't go to school for, you know, and you don't have a degree, but you got a degree. Let me tell you, you got a degree. You know, I just sent someone who needed um, marriage counseling. And they went to this therapist and that therapist is still killing each other. And I said, one of the therapists weren't even married. So I was like, okay, um, how do you get marriage counseling if you're not married? It's, it's, and I'm not trying to be judgmental, but this comes from halacha, right? I, I'm not, and I'm sure they're going to get a lot of emails from therapists because you learned whatever you learned in school. But the bottom line is that if you don't have children and you didn't bring up children, then you could be a great therapist in other things. But I'm not coming to you with questions about bringing chinuch. If you don't have children, I'm not going to do it because the books are the books, but but living it is living it. Now, Rabbi Walsh, that's not nice. That's not fair. How could you make such a statement, right? I don't make a statement unless I learn the statement. Halacha and Hilchas Rosh Hashanah, Mishnah Bura, Shulchan Aruch. The person who davens for the Amid, the Chazan who davens for the Amid, on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, has to have five things. Kol Naya, a good voice. He has to have uh, a beard. He's supposed to have a beard. Whatever, because he's supposed to have a certain look, whatever it is. He should be married, and he should have children. And then there's a fifth thing. Oh, he should be a tzai. He should be a, a good person. Why does he have to be married and have children to daven for the Amid? And the answer is, that when he cries by davening, right, for all the children that are suffering, and for all the shalom bias problems, if he doesn't have it, even though he's, he's crying for it, he doesn't feel it. So, a person who downs Rosh Hashanah Kippur has to be someone... L'chachila, who has children, because that person will, will dive in differently because he has children. So, if you have experience, right, so, I sent this couple to some, a couple that's married 30, 40 years, more than 40 years, like 44 years, and they're, they're really happy, and I said, it's very nice that you went to therapist, you need to talk to these two, because they, they have 44 years experience together, and they, they're really good, not fake, but really, really good. Ask them how they do it. Ask him how he comes home every day and he's happy with her. I know a couple. He's 95, maybe 96. She's 88 or something like that. They got married 10 years ago. It's the second marriage, 10 years ago. And the children of the woman said, no way. The guy was already 88. What are you doing? You're going to marry him for a year or two? You have to see these two together. It's like, it's a, they're like children, they're like kids. And so those, that's where I want to go get information. How to, how to swing a bat? I don't want to go to a guy who opened the book on how to swing a bat. I want to go to a baseball player, you know, who swung a bat. So there's a certain, there's a certain chinuch you get from being mechanach. There's just a certain chinuch you get from being mechanach. Well, I don't have a degree, but I have a, I'm, I'm in the classroom. So, just to, to explain, because there's a lot of people out there that are working out of Yiddishkeit because someone did something to them in Yiddishkeit. Right, a Rebbe hit me. Uh, 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 my friends in, in, in 10th grade, they didn't invite me. They, they're clicks, especially with girls, they're clicks and they pushed me out. And if this is Yiddishkeit with all their Torah and all their learning, and, and, and this one was the, uh, what's it called, the, what do they call the girl at the, who, you know, the best, the, the one, huh? Valedictorian. She was a valedictorian and she, and, and, and she talks Lush and Hara behind me. This whole thing's a bluff. Ah, not, I don't keep this stuff anymore. I get this all the time. And I'm like, don't judge it, but that doesn't really help them. So I want to I 
explain it to everyone here. I think it's very, very important, and, and whoever's listening outside. For example, you see that the Torah is extremely sensitive. You see that Hashem, right, who burns you and barbecues you, and I don't know what, the, how, what they're teaching kids today. Um, that when Sari Menu said to, when, said to Hashem that Avram is too old to have children, Hashem said, We're gonna, you're going to have children. She said, but my husband is 99, he can't have children. But Hashem repeated, Hashem, it's Hashem. Repeated it to Avram. He didn't say your wife said you're too old. He said, your, 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 your wife said she's too old. He changed the whole thing, Hashem. Changed the whole thing around. So he's not a barbecue God. He's not here to hurt you. He's even turning the truth, right, to save a marriage so that Avram Avinu shouldn't be hurt that his wife said he's too old, even though he was too old, right? She didn't say something crazy. The man is 99 years old. She didn't say he's not good looking. I don't like him. She said he's 99. He's too old to have a kid. No. Right? No, Hashem said, no, 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 no. We can't say that. Because he's going to have a little bit, hey, you're also too old. Why are you, call, why are you saying I'm too old? Right? Because you have to understand who Hashem is. Right? They have this, this crazy picture. So, this is a true story. So, there's a, there's a hospital in, um, in New York. It's probably considered the best um, psych ward for kids uh, in New York State. And I went there to see a girl. And when I went in to see a girl, there was another girl, another religious girl there, who was sort of sitting in the corner, curled up into a ball, and she used to bang her head on the table. It was very sad. Nobody could get to her. Her parents had visitation that she wouldn't look at them. The doctor that was there, she wouldn't look at her. They were having a very hard time with her. But I didn't come to visit her. I came to visit this other kid who I was talking to and I was working with. But I saw this from kids sitting in the corner like that. So I asked the doctor, I came in as a rabbi, because they didn't let visitors there. But I was a rabbi, so I came in as a rabbi. So I asked them, their rule was you can't talk to a kid unless there's a psychologist, a doctor sitting there. They never let you talk to a kid without a, one of their doctors listening to what you're saying. So every, every time I went to speak, I sat at the table with the girl I was dealing with, and there was this therapist, uh, doctor that was sitting across the table, a, a youngish girl, whatever it is, but she was a doctor, and she would listen to what I would say. You know, they don't know anything about Yiddish kids, so a little bit, they were a little bit fascinated, you know, what we were talking about. But okay. Anyway, I started to work on that kid in the corner. Every time I came, I, she wouldn't talk to me. I said, I made jokes. I said, can I bring you a, you know, chocolate rugelach maybe? Or, and, and I tried, and I tried, and I tried. To make a long story short, this other girl was there for like two weeks. She was only supposed to be there for six days. And I, every time, spoke to this girl, spoke to this girl, spoke to this girl. I made jokes. I said, even though she wouldn't pick her head up, I, I started to talk to her, whatever it is. Anyway, to make a long story short, one day, she picks her head up. And the problem with her was that to leave a psych ward, you have to have an exit plan. You can't, they don't just let you go. Where you're going, school, you have to have a whole exit plan. And if you mention the word suicide... They don't let you go. And this kid was like, whoever could talk to her, whenever she would talk for a second, it would be, when you let me out of here, I'm going to kill myself. When you let me out of here, I'm going to kill myself. So they were stuck. They couldn't. My girl left already. This kid was still there, and they would not let her go. Because as long as she says that, they would not let her go. Finally, I got into a discussion with her. And it's a very sad story. And I said to her, you can come to my school. Um, she wasn't really from my school. She was very from, but whatever. I said, you know, we have Ornava. And, I, and she said, the minute I leave here, I'm going to kill myself. She's a very from girl. So I said, why? Why don't you give me a chance? 
I'm telling you, it's, and I start with my roses and my flowers and my mountains, and I'll take you to my beer mountain spot and we'll meditate. And I tried the kitchen sink. And one day, this is what she tells me. She says, there's no reason for me to live. And I said, why not? She said, because the reason Hashem creates a woman is to have children. And I'm never going to have children. So this is her, this is what she believed. And I guess she learned that in school, you know, Puruvu, whatever it is. And I'm never going to have children. So if I'm never going to have children, why do I need to take up Hashem's place in this world? Because that's why I'm here. I'm a woman and I'm not going to have children. So I said, why are you not going to have children? She went through some physical abuse um, by someone very close to her and decided that I'm not going to let a man ever touch me. So if a man never can touch me, I never can get married. If I never get married, I can't have children. If I can't have children, I don't want to live. This was her psych- psych- psychology. Now these non-Jewish psychologists were like, like, what are you talking about? Who needs to get married? Enjoy life. You know, they didn't understand that you have to get married, to have children, that's why you're here. That's not why we're here. We're here to go to school. We're here to, not everyone gets married, not everyone has children. And they're trying that. And this kid was the frumest kid who had this, who's brought up with that chinuch. You get married, you have children, that's what a Jewish woman is here for. You're not breaking that. That's who she is, that's where she comes from. So, I don't know, what, what do I tell her, right? So I'm sitting there, and, and you know, when... When you work with Hashem's children, you have to have a lot of siyata deshmaya. What is siyata deshmaya? Even when I give a shir, sometimes I go way off, and Hashem Mamash sends you things into your head, thoughts. How, how does God talk to a human being? People think He doesn't talk to you. He talks to you all day. When you come up after 120 years, you're going to go like, God, why don't you talk to me? Hashem's going to say, who, who do you think was in your head? Tell you, make a left, make a right, become a teacher, marry this guy. Who do you think was in your head? You think those are your thoughts? Hashem gives us our thoughts. He's, well, you're thinking all day. If you're thinking all day, he's talking to you all day. So he's talking to you. So I asked, I'm sitting there, and this poor kid, and I knew what happened to her at this point, right? And she, so this doctor sitting there, and all of a sudden I get this crazy story to tell her in my head. From nowhere, I, I never took psychology one, psychology two, or psychology three. I'm a Rebbe. And this is what I told her. I said, I want to tell you a story. Now, this lady, the, the doctor is sitting there. I'm like, I want to tell you a story. There was once this boy who came to his mother and said, Ma, I never tasted ice cream. I don't know what ice cream tastes like. Could you buy me ice cream? And the mother says, you know what? You're already 10 years old and you never got ice cream. I'm going to buy you a lot of ice cream. So she goes to the store and she gets Klein's ice cream, but not a pint, a quart. A quart of strawberry chocolate vanilla ice cream. This, this psychologist is sitting there like, where, you know, she doesn't know me that I have all these crazy stories. Like, where's this guy going with this? Like, what? But she's sitting there, she's listening. I'm like, so, one day, the mother comes home, she puts it in the freezer. The boy opens the freezer and he sees this big tub of ice cream. So he says to his mommy, Ma, give me that ice cream. Wow, I can't wait for this. The father's in the room. He says, I'll take care of this. And he goes to the freezer and he takes out the huge thing of ice cream and he takes the cover off and he walks over to his little son and he takes this quart of ice cream and he stuffs it in the kid's face and he holds it there 
and the kid can't breathe, and the ice cream is freezing his face. Can you imagine? You shouldn't imagine. Ice cream in your eyes and your nose. It's going up your nose. It's down your throat. You can't breathe. You're gagging. You're choking. And the father's holding it there. And the, and the mother's going crazy, and the father's holding it there. And the poor kid can't breathe, and he's turning blue. And the father takes it off, and the kid's throwing up, spitting his ice cream all over the place. Is this kid ever going to eat ice cream again? For sure not. So I looked at this girl, and I said, could you tell me in this story, after this father did what he did, is ice cream bad, or is the father bad? Did the, did the goodness of ice cream change because the father used it to choke the child because he didn't say please? Because he said, give me the ice cream. And the father's yelling, I'm going to teach you a lesson. From now on, you're going to say, please. You're going to remember. If you don't say, please, I'm going to stick this ice cream down your throat. He's yelling and screaming. I'm like, so you're going to be angry at the ice cream? And all the other kids outside are eating ice cream and they're having a good time. The ice cream didn't do anything wrong. Ice cream is a good thing. Getting it stuffed in your face by a mishugana is a bad thing. So I turned to this kid and I said, Physical relationships, a zivug between a husband and a wife, is kedusha. It's if you learn the zayir anything about what zivug is, it's probably the biggest kedusha between a man and a wife. The interaction of a man and a wife, the biggest kedusha is Hashem is there, the shechina is there. What's the shechina doing there? Right? It's the holiest zivug. So is zivug bad? When when you keep taras and mishpacha and a husband and wife keep taras and mishpacha the way they're supposed to, is that a bad thing? No. It's the most beautiful thing. But if you abuse it, don't be upset at the action or what happened. Be upset at the person who abused the ice cream. So I said to her, to sit here and say that I'll never get married again because someone abused the ice cream, so to say, you're missing the whole point. The person is the bad one. Not what happened is the bad one. This therapist that was sitting there called all the doctors and they wrote a memorandum they wrote a memorandum I'm talking about a very high class specialized hospital and they wrote a memorandum because she told me that one of the biggest problems they have with the, with abuse is that to get the girl that was abused to, to, to be able to get to the level to get married right? to ever even think about getting married after such a thing she said and we never had an answer we didn't know how to answer that question you just answered the question. And they wrote a memorandum. Um, they didn't call me Dr. Wallerstein, but right by Rabbi Wallerstein. It was very funny because she, this, this therapist who's doing this for who knows what with all the degrees, right? And with all those letters afterwards. I don't have any letters afterwards. LSW, MSW. I also have, by the way, ZW is a high Wallerstein, right? I also have a W. But I don't have all those other letters, right? So they asked me, where did you graduate? What college? Like... Where did you learn this? And I'm like, so I wasn't going to tell them I, I just finished high school. I said, it's in, it's in, uh, it's in Brooklyn. It's a very big college called Mira Yeshiva Rabbinical College and Theological Seminary. They're like, wow. That's the Torah. So when, when someone abuses our Torah, right? Someone abuses the Torah and it's someone that's supposed to represent Torah and they do something to hurt you, don't throw the kid out with the dirty bathwater. The Torah is the most beautiful thing. The Torah says that it could be Tameh, but because they're married, you're not allowed to separate them. So you have to say Tar. The Torah says, you have to look twice. The Torah says, for Shalom Bayes, if you have to change the truth, change the truth. The Torah is beautiful. If it's abused, don't be angry at the Torah. 
be angry at the abuser. And it's such an important lesson because there's so many people that are stepping out of Yiddishkeit because, oh man, I can't believe such a person. So that person's abusing the Torah. Rapam, right? If you and I was telling them, I said, you want you want to know what you want to know what Torah does to a Jew? Then read the stories about Rapam and Ramayisha Feinstein, who these tzaddikim read how they treated their wives, read how they treated their children. I'll tell you a story about Ramayisha Feinstein, all of a shalom. That my stepfather, Rabbi Amos Bunim, all of a shalom, told me right after he married my my mother. So he was very close to to Rav Aaron Kotla and to Ramayisha Feinstein, and he had all these stories. And one of these stories he told me blew me away. So Ramayisha Feinstein was Ramayisha Feinstein, right? Halacha and 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 all the different things that he wrote on halacha, huh? No, with with the kids. So Ramayisha Feinstein lived on the east side, and the yeshiva, right? was not that far from the apartment buildings that he lived. And every Shabbos, after davening, he would walk from Yeshiva to his apartment. I think it was, I think it was Rav Ruvain's children, his son Rav Ruvain's children, used to play in the park. And when Rav Moshe would be walking home, he would stop by the park, and these, little two, these two girls, who were his granddaughters, would come out, and he would bench them for Shabbos. He would bench them. They were around nine years old. And he benched them. And there were these two girls that were their friends. that were in this, And I asked if this story is true. And it's 100% documented. You can ask for Ruven, you can ask for David. Huh? I, I don't, okay, I didn't read, read through the whole book, but whatever. But, but it's, not everything in the book is documented. But this, I asked, I asked Amos, I said, you, I, before I repeat this, it's 100%, you can ask for David. So, so these two other girls that are in the park run over to Ramesha. Right? And these two girls that he was benching, they called him Zaydi. And they said to Ramosha, Zaydi, Zaydi. They weren't his kids. Could you bench us? And he was, so, they were sort of nine, ten years old. So nine, ten years old is a little iffy. Right? So to say. So he benches both and he puts his hands on their head and he benches them for Shabbos. With David, right, or Ruvain says to Ramosha, when they went away, Tati, um, aren't they too old? To, to touch their heads, to, to bench them. They were around nine years old. So Moshe said, I could find a hundred heterim. At that age, I could find you a hundred heterim, a hundred reasons why I could touch their heads and bench them. But I can't find one heter to embarrass two kids who asked for a bracha. That's terror. So don't point at all the guys who are doing the wrong thing. That's, that's what happens to you when you learn Torah. It's ice cream. Someone stuffs it in your face. Someone abuses it. So it's not, it's not the Torah that's bad. It's the person that's doing it that's bad. Don't blame the Torah. Don't walk away out of the Torah. So you shouldn't eat ice cream for the rest of your life? This, this kid, he should, shouldn't have ice cream anymore? When all his friends are having ice cream, when the ice cream truck comes with the belt, he shouldn't eat ice cream because ice cream is evil? No, you have to teach him ice cream's not evil. What your father was evil. She's Baruch Hashem doing man unbelievable. That's what she became my girl after that. And she got out and she went to, she went for a long time for help and she's Baruch Hashem. I don't want to say more about her because then someone, but she's, and that came from Hashem. That wasn't my answer. I didn't study it, whatever it was. And it's, it's very logical. I'm telling you, they, they wrote a memorandum. It says my name. They called me Stephen Wallstein, whatever, but Rabbi Stephen Wallstein, and there's a memorandum in this psych ward that, that he, that, that I came up with this and that's what they tell kids. They use the muscle of the ice cream. That is what they use. That is what they use. That comes from, 
it comes from, it doesn't come, it comes from, it comes from learning Torah and it comes, not from me, it doesn't come from me, it comes from under, it comes from understanding the beauty, you know, of the Torah that we have. I always listen, I always, I love the story about Shlom Zaman Albach. Shlom Zaman Albach got up at the Levaya of his wife and said, I do not have to ask Mechila from my wife because I never did anything to her, ever, that I have to ask her Mechila for. Do you know what it is to make a statement like that? Imagine you could get up and after 120 years when, they, when you're the Levi of your parent after 120 years and say, I don't have to ask Mechila for my mother. I never, ever aggravated her. I don't think the human being exists, right? But that would be amazing. That would be amazing. So his driver is a friend of mine. Shlomo Zaman Auerbach, Allah Shalom, in Eretz Yisrael. His driver is a friend of mine. He said, he told me this story. So it's from Rosh Hashiva's driver. So he's, he's taking Rosh Hashanah, he's about 70 years old, and he's taking Rosh Hashanah Auerbach home after Yeshiva, 7 o'clock, every day. And every day as they're driving home, he had a napkin. And he would open the napkin, and there was like a, a piece or a piece and a half of sponge cake. And Rosh Hashanah would make a bracha and he would eat it. So this guy happens to be a wise guy, he's still a wise guy, right? So he turned to Rosh Hashiva and he said, if I could ask Rosh Hashiva, like, doesn't Rosh Hashiva know the rule that you're not supposed to snack Right before dinner? Why is Rosh Hashiva eating? You're home in 10 minutes. Why, right? So Shlomo Zalman turned to him and said, listen, a whole day I'm not, I'm not home with my wife. Right? I'm very hungry. He was seven years old. It's, uh, what was afternoon Seder? It's like from three to seven. It's like a four hour Seder. He says, I'm very hungry. If I'm going to come home hungry, so I'm going to concentrate on the food because I'm hungry and I'm not going to give her the attention she deserves. So I'm going to eat the cake so that my, my, I'm not so hungry. And I could sit there and I could talk to her for 20 minutes about yeshiva and about the day. I'm not in a rush to eat. That, girls, is what Torah makes a person. That is what happens. Don't point to all the people who do the wrong things. Look at the tzaddikim, how they treated their wives and their children and themselves. My mashgiach was Ramad Cheshwab, all of a sudden. Ramad Cheshwab was everyone agrees, was one of the 26 of the, you know, of the, of the hidden tzaddikim. There's nothing to talk about. I mean, 36. He was one of, there's nothing to talk about. He was such a tzaddik. So holy, you looked at his face. With my mashkev, looked at his face. It was glowing. If I show you a picture of him, a light coming off him. A tzaddik from, from, from Europe. He was, he was a schwab. He was a schwab. He was a schwab. He wrote him. I was sitting in the bathroom one day in yeshiva, and I'm sitting in the bathroom, and I see a hand, right, underneath, this, I'm, I'm sitting there, underneath this, going around, in the stall next to me, picking up the toilet paper that's on the, that's on the floor, right, whatever it is. I come out, and Rav Schwab, Mashkiach, is all the tissues on the floor in the bathroom, he is picking up and putting in the garbage to make it clean. I wouldn't pick up the tissues in the, to- in the bathroom. I wouldn't touch that stuff. Ramar Cheshwab is Mashkiach Beishraga wrote Svarim a Gadolah Dara Lamed Vavnik Kavarat Torah. It's Yeshiva. Bathroom has to be clean. That's what happens to a person who learns Torah. Not all the other stuff where everyone's angry at. So this is something that we and 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 all I hear all the time. Well, this guy did this and this rabbi did this and if that's Torah, then hello, you're only looking at the dark side and that's not Torah. You know. 
There are many people who learn Torah to get a shidduch, and they learn Torah so people will think they're great, or whatever it is. Torah, if you're learning Torah for the right reason, it has to change who you are. If it doesn't change who you are, you're learning as a subject. There are many priests in the Vatican that have studied the Talmud and everything else that know probably more than I do. I, I have flown to Utah because there's a rehab there that I go to very often and many times there are Mormons on the on the plane with me and they see that I'm wearing a yarmulke and they sit down to me they can quote Isaiah Jeremiah's uh, Yecheskel they know Mishle inside out they know they know um, Tehillim every psalm every Pusik inside out I don't even know verse 42 I'm like okay you know I don't know verse 42 chapter 16 right they know it all inside out but they're still Mormons how does that make any sense? If you're quoting me Yeshaya, and all the Nevi'ahs of Yeshaya, and Yirmiyahu, and Yecheskel, which Yecheskel has the, 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 the Maisei Merkava, so he said, we're not even learning, and you're quoting, you know all that, and you know the whole Tehillim, and you know what Donovan said about the Plishtim, and you know what? How could you not be Jewish? How could you not convert? You know all that stuff? How could you still be a guy? And the answer is, it's a subject. They're, it's not, it's, they're not absorbing it. They're, they're studying. I'm studying Isaiah. I'm not studying Isaiah. I am living Isaiah. So many people study Torah, but it doesn't become part of them. There's a, there's a very, um, there's a famous Gemara. And the Gemara says that, um, it was a, a Gemara in Shabbat. I'm not sure what the Gemara, it talks about truth coming up. So it says that when Hashem gave the first time He gave us the Torah in Hasinai, the whole world was shaking. So the Goyim, all their palaces and movie theaters, whatever they had, were shaking. They got very, very scared. And their leader, their Navi, their Moshe Rabbeinu, was Bilam. Bilam was as Tomei as Moshe was holy. Okay? He, his wife was a donkey. So he was a lowlife. But he actually was a very big prophet. Because God didn't want the Goyim to say that he gave us someone and he didn't give them someone. So he gave them Bilam. So the Gemara, I wish I should have brought the Gemara and read it inside tonight. So the Gemara says the following, the world was shaking, so all the Goyim came to Bilam and they said, is God, tell us, is God destroying the world? So Bilam said, God promised that he won't destroy the world. So the Goyim answered him, he promised he won't destroy the world with water. But he never promised he won't destroy the world with fire or an earthquake. So, maybe this is a fire and an earthquake. So, Bilam answered them. God is giving his chosen child his greatest present, the Torah. And they said, oh, okay. And the Gemara says, they went back to their house of Avodah Zarah, to their bars, to their movie theaters. Have a good day. So, Chazal asked, I don't understand. He's your prophet. He's your leader. You're following him. He just got up and told you that the reason the world is shaking, that God's chosen child is getting a special present. Now, you could become a gear. You could become part of that chosen child and get a present. Why did they all run to that Vajazara at that point? Their head guy is telling them that God, forget that Vajazara. They're not, that's not real. That God is giving his children his best present. Why would they run and say, give me, give me, give me the present also? And Chazal asked a better question. Why did he go and become a ger? Yisro went and became a ger. He said out of his mouth, the chosen nation, Hashem's children, is getting the greatest present. So, idiot, what are you doing here? Run! Become a Jew! No. He was the worst Russia in the world. 
So Chazal answer, they didn't want to absorb it. The minute they heard that they're not being killed, they were just worried about themselves. Oh, I'm not dying? Oh, they're getting the Torah? Oh, good, I hope they have a good time. Let them get what they want, but, but it has nothing to do with me. So when, when Torah is learned and it has nothing to do with me, it's a subject, then you don't become a Ramosha Feinstein, you don't become a Rapam, and, and it doesn't change you. And you're not able to look at someone twice before you say, before you say Tomei. It's a very, and, and I think that's one of the biggest problems today. We need to teach our, the beauty, the beauty of Torah. Everyone's scared about, you know, everything's a threat, and if you do this, you're gonna get that, and if you're gonna do this, then you're gonna get that. Hashem wants to teach us something called consequence. It's not about that He wants, He wants to teach us that everything has a consequence. And as much as you don't want things to have a consequence, it's not something in this, in this world that you can change. You can't change if you drop a crystal goblet on this floor, it's going to break in a hundred pieces. But it's not fear. What do you mean it's not fear? But, but, but Brad Wallace, it's not fear. Why did my glass break? Because you dropped it on the floor. I know, but it's not fear. Why did it have to break? Is the floor angry at the crystal goblet? Are they having a fight? No. The way Hashem created the world, a piece of glass that falls on a hard floor is going to break. There's this thing called consequence. And if you are not willing to learn that, you're going to lose all your glasses. Because you're going to keep saying, no, no, wait, this one won't smash. Oh, but this one won't smash. So, he created in the physical world, there are consequences. If you cut your hand off, your hand's off. If you stand in front of a car at 80 miles an hour, you're not going to live. If you jump into a fire, you're not going to live. What do you mean? That's a consequence, the way he created it. You want a miracle? That you should jump into a fire like, like, like Avraham Avinu? So that's changing consequence. That's why it's called a nace. And it's very hard. It's very, very hard. And ain't saying chalal nace. You can't depend on that. You're not allowed to depend on an ace. Ain't saying chalal nace. You're not allowed to depend on a miracle. Why not? Because Hashem created the world with a consequence. And that miracle, what does a miracle mean? That there is no, that the consequence that's supposed to happen didn't happen. You got hit by lightning and you got up. So, so the consequence that's supposed to happen when you get hit by lightning is you're dead. You're not dead. So a miracle is breaking consequence. Consequence is teva. The way he created this world, every, you know, every action has a reaction. It's, it's the first thing you learn in physics. I remember I was in fifth grade. The first thing we learned in physics is my teacher brought in those six metal balls on the strings, right? And they, they, they took this ball, and then when it hit this one, this ball went. And they dropped this ball. It's the first thing you learn in physics. Every action has a reaction. That is the basis of physics. Physics is the basis of the world. Every action has a reaction. So when the Torah tells us this punishment, that punishment, this it's not a punishment. Hashem is saying that in my world, what you just did, the reaction of it, causes certain things that you may not understand. Right? There's a lot of things we don't understand as far as reactions are concerned. I don't know how an atomic, how splitting a bomb causes all that energy. Right? But it does. And an atom is the smallest thing in the world. Imagine that. If you split it, it causes an atom bomb. So I don't understand all the reactions. So when, when, when the Torah, because the guy came to me and said, I don't understand. You Mechal Shabbos, they stone you. I mean, come on, I can't be part of that religion. I'm like, what are you talking about? You get stoned. Isn't that something you do very often? It's a joke. Yeah, whatever. Getting stoned means getting drunk. But he was like very, he was like saying, I want to be part of a religion where they stone you because you did a fire on Shabbos. And I'm like, First of all, Bezda never did skila. Because the way they set it up, if you look at the Torah, right, the same thing with uh, a lot of different things in the Torah that we have. Um, 
of Ben Sarah Moira never happened. You have to have two witnesses. You have to have, the two witnesses have to warn him before he does what he does. He has to be two witnesses to see that he warned him. It's like, it's like Hashem is pretty much saying it's not going to happen. But the, the, the possibility and the, and the reaction of your action is that by being Mechal Shabbos, you're doing something to the fiber of the world. There's a very famous thing. You're Mechal Shabbos and someone on the other side of the world, Shmat, goes off the derech. You do a mitzvah and someone else on the, on the world steps into Yiddishkeit. Everything, every action, everything that a person does has a reaction in this world. So in Hashem's Torah, he's pretty much an architect, right? And you don't understand that the dot on your, you know, when I, when I, when, I, when you build a house, so you have all these lines and dots and all these lines and dots and you're like, ah, I'll erase one of these dots. It can't be too important. It's a dot, right? That dot is holding up the whole house. And if you don't put that pillar there, the whole house is going to fall in. All the other dots, if you don't have that dot, but it's only a dot on the paper. So in our world, it just looks like a dot. Oh, Shabbos, big deal. Oh, Tznias, big deal. Oh, Shatnis, what's going to happen? Right? Big deal. But it's a dot on the paper. It doesn't look important. I understand how you have to treat other people, but that mitzvah I don't understand. The answer is, no, you don't understand. You're not an architect. I'm not an architect. I look, those, I look at those papers. I have no idea what's going on over there. Right? HaKadosh Baruch was the architect of the Torah, of the world. So when he tells you you can't do something, it's because that action has a reaction. And therefore, everything has a reaction. And the good side, there's also that has a reaction. So, I want to end. I, I, I told them last night in my shift. I said, you know, Pirkei and, and next week we'll continue. There's a lot of stuff I wanted to talk about. Well, it's, it's 10 o'clock. So, I, I, just wanna, I, I told, told this to my guys. Because the reason I'm talking about this is because I'm just getting a lot of this, a lot of bad stuff about Judaism. Like, yeah, that it has this, you know, from within us. And like, you know, this guy did that. And, and you know, it's not fair. Don't, don't, don't throw the ice cream out. If it's not being used correctly, don't throw the ice cream out. You're a fool. If you don't eat ice cream for the rest of your life, you're, you're crazy. It's not, it wasn't the ice cream, right? So, Pirkei Avos, which started last week. We start learning Pirkei Avos from Pesach to Rosh Hashanah. And the reason we learn Pirkei Avos from Pesach to Rosh Hashanah is summertime, it's warm, you're not so tzniyas, you feel free, you don't have school. It's a pretty wild time. You can't even walk in Manhattan. It's a wild time. So the Rabbanan wrote, told us to learn Pirkei Avos during this time because it, it, it gives us Musr to control what we do, right? So, Pirkei Avos is a book of Musr. How does Pirkei Avos start? Every single chapter in Pirkei Avos starts the same way. So here are the rabbis, they're giving us Musr, they're telling us you can't do this and you can't do this and watch your eyes and watch your mouth and watch this and watch that. How do they start before they give us this criticism? How, how what is real Judaism? Every parak starts the following. Every Jew has Olam Haba. Before we're going to tell you criticism, what you should do, what you shouldn't do, you need to know that if you're a Jew, all of you have a piece of Olam Haba. Now it doesn't say, all of you are going to end up in Gehenna, all of you are going to get punished, all of you are going to get sick, right? you're going to have your surim, you're going to go through pain. Not how they start picking up us. Koisro Yeshlam Khilik Olam Habo. Shinamar, what does it say in the Pasik? How do you know that everyone has Olam Habo no matter how bad you are? Everyone has a Khilik in Olam Habo. Shinamar, the Amech Kulam Sadikim. The whole nation, everybody. The person down the block who's not dressed the right way, the person that's not even from the person who's not from the Torah looks at him, he doesn't really know, he doesn't really understand. If he really knew and if he really understood, he would be different. 
So the Torah tells us, the, the, your nation are all tzaddikim. They will all, in, all inherit the land. We're talking about Ganadin. We're talking about Olam Haba. Forever. Listen to what Hashem sends to us. They are a branch of my planting. They are my handiwork. All of you in this room, everyone watching, Hashem says, you are my handiwork. Lihispire, in which I take pride. So, before we learn Pirkeiavos, before we get criticized, before we learn about what we're doing wrong, and what we have to do right, the Mishnah says, you all have a portion in the world to come. You're all tzaddikim. You all, a, a branch of God's tree. And you are what God takes pride in. And that's Judaism. And that's not something to walk away from. That's delicious ice cream. That is something to enjoy. May we all be zaycher to see Olam Haba. Olam Haba actually is not Ganeidin. Olam Haba is the next world. The next world is talking about the world of Mashiach. Um, I actually just tell you very cute and I'll leave with this. So I'm sitting at a Kiddush and there's a Sephardi guy sitting next to me. And Sephardim, I guess, whoever's in there who's Sephardi, they're not into herring. It's not a, not a Sephardi food. So, so, but us guys, we're into herring, matches herring, and, and schmaltz herring, and herring and pickle sauce, and today there's a million different, I, I be gesund herring, and fed for herring, and so, so we're, I'm sitting in Oryasuk, and they have this kiddush, and this guy's sitting next to me, and I'm eating away the herring, and I'm like, here, have some herring. And he says, oh no, no way. <laughs> I'm like, my father said that if you find a Jew who doesn't eat herring, check out, he's probably not Jewish. <laughs> so, unless I see you eating herring, I'm a little bit scared of who you really are. And he's like, we don't, we don't eat that stuff. Because the truth is, if you're not used to herring, it's slimy and ugh, and it's like, right? You even think about eating it. And where I'm like, cracker, you know what? So, so I, t- I turned to him, I said, you're in big trouble. Because the Gemara says that the Suda shall live Yasan, there were these two huge fish. Huge, huge, huge. And there wasn't room in the world for the two of them. A female and a male. And there wasn't room. Why? Because if they're going to mate, they're going to have more of these things. And they were mamish like, like, what do they call that monster on the bottom of the ocean that they're looking for all the time? The Loch Ness Monster. Right. So they, 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 they were huge. So Hashem killed, I don't know, he killed the female, I think. He killed the female. And I guess Hashem knew Mashiach wasn't coming in a day. So it says, Molcho, he salted it. He salted this fish. And when Mashiach comes, the Su'uda, the first meal that we're going to have with all the tzaddikim, is the Su'uda Shalav Yosan. What fish that's salted? It's herring. So I said to him, I'm telling you right now that you better get used to this because very soon we're going to be eating a lot of herring. We should all be zaykhah to sit at that Su'uda Shalav Yosan. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.